Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. All throughout the Bible, people have amazing encounters with God. You ever wish that would happen to you? Rarely were those encounters without challenge or sacrifice, but they were always life-changing. Join us for a three-part series as we discover how to have an encounter with God. Rome part two of a series we've been doing called Encounter. We started this last week and we're talking about the different encounters that God has with people in their lives and how uh, in the Bible and how their lives become radically changed as a result of that or at least significantly changed. And we're modeling this whole series off of one person and their encounter in particular. And, and it's one encounter that Jacob had. He actually had a few different things that were pretty powerful. And so one of the things that we are trying to accomplish with this series is to give all of us a desire to have an encounter with God. Uh, not all of us actually want that because some of us are kind of like, yeah, you know, getting up and close and personal with God could be, yeah, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. So that means we also want to remove the fears we may have that would keep us from having an encounter with God. And then ultimately, we want to find out if there's something we need to do to prepare ourselves to get us into the position where we can get something from God we wouldn't get any other way. So that's what we've been looking at. And so last week, as we started this series, I gave you a working definition for an encounter. Because truthfully, if you show up tomorrow at work and say, hey, I'm going to have an encounter with God. The people are, or maybe go to school, hey, math teacher, how you doing? Guess what? We're going to have an encounter with God today. Yeah. Chances are people are going to think you're really weird or not want to have lunch with you. And just in case that's when the encounter is happening and they're not sure they want to be like surprised by this thing. So what we did is we came up with like, what can we say? How can we put an encounter with God into terms? And, and so we came up with kind of a working definition. And as we did this last week, I noticed many of you furiously taking notes, trying to write this down. So I'm going to be nice and put it on the screen for you this week. And for those of you not furiously writing these things down, then I'm not sure how you're going to reflect upon them throughout the week, but you should consider that. So anyway... A unique experience with God that either becomes a marker or a turning point in our lives. That's it. Can we handle that? So if you are talking to someone at work or at school or wherever and you're saying, this is what I want from God. I want a unique experience that will become a marker or a turning point in our lives. And they can be different. Maybe what you have is a conversation on a prayer walk. You take a prayer walk, you're out for a couple of hours. Maybe you thought you'd prayer walk for 10 minutes. Next thing you know, you come home, it's been three hours, and you just really feel like God was walking with you and talking with you. That's pretty significant. Maybe you have a dream, maybe you have a vision, or maybe you have an incredibly miraculous event. Whatever it is, we don't want to, to put what God's going to do in a box and say, God has to do this, God can only do this. You know, we uh, sometimes read the stories in the Bible, you know, like Moses got a burning bush, Peter got to walk on water, and, and those are like the only options that we think are available. But you know, God, first of all, can do anything he wants, and he's incredibly creative. So we don't want to try to define it in any other way than this. Something that God does in your life that you can look back and go, man, that was an encounter I had right there. My life is different because of that. Maybe your turn turning point is a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, or a complete U-turn, whatever God is going to do. Here's the essential ingredient. If you want to say, how am I going to know? Is this. You know that you've met with God and you've heard from God. You know that you've met with God and you've heard from God. Now, most of us are not experts yet in learning to hear the voice of God, which is actually in just a couple of weeks right after Easter, we're going to do a series on how to hear God's voice. 
But even if you don't know all of the ins and outs of, of how can we hear God's voice and what is that like, somehow you just know. You just know that in this thing, God did something, God said something, you've been there with him. And so I remember many times I've taken like prayer walks to go out and walk in with God and to, to have time away because, you know, you just get to a point where your morning routine just maybe isn't enough. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, and maybe you've got a great morning routine and you're, you know, you're getting up and, and uh, you're, you're, you know, you're ignoring algebra class and you're doing your devotions in algebra class. Y'all wouldn't do that, would you? Right? No. Okay, good. Are y'all going to do this with me today? You're going to talk to me? I mean, y'all like, y'all talk Friday night. That was fun. So anyway, maybe you've got great morning time and you're really praying, you're reading the Bible and you feel like God's really speaking, but you know, that just gets to a point where you're like, I, I wish this could be longer. I wish it could be more. I wish I could get something different. And so there have been times where I've, I've set aside a couple of hours, maybe even half a day, go out and take a prayer walk, or maybe there have been times I've actually set aside days. I've gone away for a couple of days just to, to have a time with God, you know, silence and, and solitude. Sometimes we want something from God, but the world around us is so busy and so loud. And I know as I'm saying that, some of you are sitting here going, man, it must be cool to be a pastor where you can like take half a day and go prayer walk, where you can like take a few days off and go seek God. That's kind of like weird. Like when I talk to God, five minutes is like enough. You know, I'm not sure what's going on after you know what I'm talking about. Well, first of all, let me make sure this is clear. This is not what a pastor does. This is what any child of God does. When I do this, I'm not doing this because I'm a pastor. I'm doing it because I'm God's son. And what I need from God is the same thing you need from God. And just because I take a couple of hours and go on a prayer walk doesn't mean it's actually my day job. Matter of fact, sometimes it's a Saturday morning, which is not my day job. It's, it's like I'm, I just wake up and I just really feel like, you know, I need to just go spend some time with God to get something. I'm not getting any other way. And so it's when I've been on these times where I've set aside some days or set aside some hours that I feel like something significant happens, you know, and I'm journaling and writing this down and, and, and something is going on. And, and I think this reveals the first problem that we have. We want something extraordinary, but we want to keep doing the ordinary. We're like, I, I don't want to set aside two hours and go on a prayer walk. I don't want to give up my day off and, and do this. I don't want to take a retreat where I don't get to watch TV or do whatever, and I'm just going to sit and talk to God. That's just weird, except we want to keep doing the ordinary and somehow think God will do the extraordinary and so what we're going to talk this morning and, and then also next week is maybe if we expect God to do the extraordinary in our lives, we need to get outside of the ordinary. We need to prepare for an encounter with him because sometimes in scripture when people had these amazing stories, they did something to bring it on. And so that's where we're going to go uh, today. We're going to look at that story with Jacob once again. If you've got your Bibles, Genesis 35, if not, it's on the screen right behind my head. Let's see what we could maybe do to prepare so that we can have an encounter. Here's what God said to Jacob. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, the rings that were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. Put away the foreign gods that are among you is what we're talking about today. The first question we're going to have is, why is this so important? Why is it so important to not have any other gods? 
Anybody right now kind of have like the Ten Commandments going through your head and you're thinking, come on, Jimmy, don't you know the first of the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me, right? I mean, is that kind of what you're thinking? Like, that's a good reason to do this? Except here's what's happening. In time, the Ten Commandments have not yet been given. So don't you think this is kind of strange that Jacob, as soon as God says, hey, Jacob, I want you to meet with me. The first thing that Jacob does is turn to everybody and say, hey, get rid of your foreign gods. We're going to meet with God. He somehow knows that he's supposed to do this. And maybe the first time you read this, you kind of think those are the instructions that God gave. Hey, Jacob, go over to Bethel, dwell there, make an altar to me. By the way, put away the foreign gods, purify yourselves, change your garments. But no, it wasn't God's instruction. It was Jacob's instruction. Where in the world did he get this from? Well, if you were here last week, we, we spent more time with a bigger passage looking at the whole encounter, what happened in the encounter, what Jacob got out of it. And one of the most significant things that we learned is that every encounter may give you something different from God. You may have a different experience, but one thing is non-negotiable. In any encounter with God, we should come away with a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding of God. A deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding of God. And so this is what has happened to Jacob over time. And so there's been a couple of things that he's mentioned. We looked at one of them last week where he said, if you'll be my God and bless me, I'll give you a tenth of everything that I get. Which is funny because up until this point in history, up until this point in the Bible, God has never asked for a tenth. God has never mentioned a tenth. And yet somehow Jacob knew inside of him, if you're going to provide for me, I'm going to honor you by giving some of it back. And so here's the other thing. The Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. God hasn't said, look, I don't need competition. One, No, he hasn't said anything yet. But somehow Jacob, as he's grown to understand who God is, he started to figure out God doesn't like competition. God wants to meet with him alone. He doesn't want all of these other things with him. And so Jacob has begun to figure out if you want to meet with God, we've got to put away the foreign gods. Now here's the real question for us today. 2017, what does this mean? What does it look like? How do you put away the foreign gods? For some of us, we're thinking, okay, put away the foreign gods, put away the foreign gods. What does that mean, Jimmy? Well, if you've got a Buddha by your front door and you rub his belly on the way out to work for good luck every day, your answer is a little bit obvious, right? If you've got a yin-yang symbol above your couch and you bow down to it or whatever, you know, I mean, I don't know. Some of us, we might actually have a few obvious answers. But I think the overwhelming majority of us are gonna think, I don't know that I have any real foreign gods here. I think for me it is, is kind of difficult. So can we just move on the next week? And well, no, what we need to do is figure out if there are some foreign gods in our lives and what impact this is having because um, they may sneak in and we don't know it. No, it may not be a Buddha statue. It may be something a little more difficult for us to identify. And that's what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to show you the three things they did to figure out what uh, foreign gods they had and how to get rid of them, and we're going to hopefully do the same. And it starts with this. The first thing is to acknowledge that you have foreign gods. Acknowledge them. Jacob did this by saying, we need to get rid of them. That was a pretty big admission of guilt, wasn't it? You know, like, have you ever gotten busted by, like, your teachers or something? Like, you know, note passing. Teacher comes to get the note, and you, like, try to sit on it or something. Like, if it's not there, I don't have this problem. Like, the minute that you go, okay, hey, get rid of the foreign Get rid of the foreign gods. I mean, that's an admission that they're there. But here's what else is significant. By admitting that he needed to get rid of them, he did something that was really incriminating. He acknowledged that he had been tolerating or ignoring them up until this point. You see, it wasn't God who said get rid of them. It was Jacob. First thing Jacob thought, God says, I want to meet with you. Jacob says, okay, hold that thought. Hey, everybody, get rid of the foreign gods. He knew 
that up until this point in his life, he was tolerating or ignoring things that were coming between him and God. And he needed to do something about that. And so if you wonder, where in the world could this come from? What is the deal? I thought Jacob was a godly man. I thought we're talking about the people of God. Well, again, remember, God's revealing himself. They're just beginning to figure this out. A couple of things, two in particular. The first one is that Jacob had gotten married about 13 years earlier. And, and Rachel, when they left, at this point he said, I've been living with my father-in-law long enough. Let me just leave. And so he packs up all his family. He's getting ready to leave and go away. And so on the journey, the father-in-law comes and tries to get back something that Rachel, his wife, took. And that was his gods. She had taken his statues, his statues and his trinkets and whatever it was that she worshipped. And some people at this point want to make Rachel sound like she is really good. And I think they're just doing her a favor because it's not true. You see, they like to say, well, Rachel was just stealing these because they were made of precious metal and she wanted to be able to sell them or melt them down and be able to feed her family, not go hungry with her, her new husband, right? Well, here's why that doesn't work. First of all, Jacob's been her husband for 13 years. Second of all, Jacob is incredibly wealthy. Jacob has a lot of kids. He has grandkids. He has all kinds of animals. I mean, he's wealthy. We're not talking. He didn't need a U-Haul to move. He needed like the whole company of U-Haul to help him move. He's like a minor nation traveling through the desert here. This is, he's rich. So she had no need to steal a couple of statues to take care of herself. No, the reality was this. She probably worshiped the gods that her father worshiped. And now that Jacob is going to take her off to his land and his gods, she wants to take her statues with her. So here's the problem. He's been married for 13 years and he's never confronted the gods that are in her life. The second thing is that his sons had gotten into a little bit of trouble. Now, you guys don't know anything about getting in trouble while your parents are sleeping, do you? Okay, but here's what happened. His sons decided to go out and wipe out an entire city. So the good news, anybody ever wiped out an entire city, killed everybody and stole everything they had? All right, good. You guys are safe. Parents over here, anybody had that happen? No. All right, good. So we're all way above where Jacob is at this point. But they took out an entire city. They took all of their belongings, kept all of their gods and all of their trinkets and all of their statues. Maybe they did just want them for the wealth, but the point is they have them. And Jacob, of course, was furious that they killed everybody, but he didn't seem to care that they took all their stuff and had all of their gods. Until now, God says, I'd like to meet with you. He's like, okay, well, first we got to deal with the fact that we have foreign gods. You got to admit they're there. And so this is the first thing is to admit. So my question for you is really simple. Are you willing to look at your life today and find out if you have something that comes between you and God? Okay. Well, without a yes, we don't have any reason to go forward. So let's try this again. Are you willing to look at your lives today and to see if there's something that comes between you and God? Thank you. I'll keep going. All right, here we go. The second thing you have to do once you acknowledge that they are theirs, you got to identify them. So Jacob says, hey, let's put away the foreign gods. That meant that everybody had to go back to their tent, figure out what they had, and bring them out. And for us, we, this might actually be much more difficult for us today. You see, for them, this was really easy. In the Old Testament times, their foreign gods were literally like statues, and, and jewelry, and that's why, ladies, if y'all got scared earlier when we read they had to give up their earrings, you're thinking, oh my gosh, are we going to take up the offering? I've got to like give away my earrings today and my jewelry. No, you get to keep yours. See, the problem for them is that their earrings typically and their jewelry were, were dedicated to gods or had impressions of pictures of gods or whatever. They had their foreign gods have names like Baal and Molech and all these other names. We could do a whole list. 
And so they would make statues to represent these gods, and they would put them up and, and, and worship them, and then they would get jewelry that would have a picture of it or its name or something like that. And so that's what they had to do. It was very easy for them to recognize. They put away the foreign gods. Oh, you mean this one that's got Baal's name on it? Okay. You know, it was real easy. Our problem is that we don't have statues that they called idols, and so we don't think we have idolatry. We don't think it's a part of our lives. And so it sneaks in very quietly because the statues of foreign gods in our lives are not statues on our mantles, but they are statues in our hearts and ways of living. And they're a little more complicated for us to see. And so what we need to do is to begin to say, well, then how are we going to identify them? If we're not looking for a statue on our mantle, if we're looking for something in our heart, what is that going to look like? And the short answer is this, whatever takes worship from God. But the truth is that's a complicated answer because if I wanted to do a series right now on worship, I could take like six weeks to do a series on what is worship, what does worship mean, how do you, you show your worship to God, what is all of that? So for today, I need to simplify this, what is worship to God? I'm going to, I'm going to bring it down to three words that we can work with. And for those of you that love worship so much, I'm going to offend you by simplifying it, forgive me. But here we go, here's what we're going to look at. How do we identify foreign gods? Anything that takes priority above God Anything that takes obedience from God, anything that takes our affection from God, that's what we're going to simplify the idea of worship down today, is whatever takes priority, whatever takes obedience, and whatever takes affection. So let's look at this word priority. What this means is every single one of us, we have time. Every single one of us, we have energy. Every single one of us, we have money. Every single one of us, we have talents, we have skills. I mean, whatever it is that God has given us, every single one of us, we have these things. And so the question becomes, when we spend our time, when we spend our energy, and when we spend our money, is God on the list? And is God in the right place on the list? And I want you to understand something very clearly. I absolutely enjoy life that God has given me, and you should be able to enjoy the life that God has given you. You should have time to go to the Caribbean, and you should have money to go and enjoy the Caribbean. If you've never been, you are missing out on one of God's best creations. I'm telling you, blue water, white sand, amazing. You need to do this sometime. So there's not a problem. God's not saying, look, you've got to like have no fun at all, like live in the church 24-7, bring a sleeping bag, sleep right here, you know, and, and if anybody gives you a, every penny, every penny you've got to give you know, to the pastor. No, 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 it's not saying you can't enjoy life with your time and your energy and your money. Here's the point, is if you make a list of everything that gets your time, everything that gets your energy and everything that gets your money, if there's no room for God, then we have a problem. If God's not even on the list, everything that kicked him off the list is a foreign God. Because God is out, they are in, they are what are getting our worship. So if God doesn't have a place on the list, I would go as far as to say if God doesn't have the right place on the list, that's getting priority. The second way to identify it is whatever's getting obedience from God. So I'm going to use a very uncool word. You know, it's like somewhere in Bible college after the year 2000, it became uncool for pastors to use this three-letter word called sin. You ever heard that word? I'm going to be uncool for a minute because I'm going to use that word. Here's all that word really means is God has a way that honors him and sin is when we do the other, right? Sin is when we disobey what God has told us to do. And so when we do that, though, it becomes incredibly obvious that we've chosen. God says, do this, and instead we do that. So this thing that we want to do has our obedience instead of God, and that makes it a foreign God. Does that make sense? 
Sometimes uh, a sin is not what we do, it is what we don't do. So it can be what we do or what we don't do, either one. But you know what else is sometimes it's not even sin. It can just be something else that God has begun to speak to you. And so a foreign God could be something that has snuck in another way. I'm going to give you an example of something I'm dealing with kind of in my own life right now. So I recently took a trip to the West Coast. And one of the things that I love about traveling is that I get away from my email. I get away from my desk. My sleep schedule gets messed up. And so when it gets messed up, which sounds weird that I enjoy that, right? But what that means is that there's a moment where I'm actually going to probably wake up early and the rest of the world's not awake. And it helps me just get some time with God. And so I enjoy this. So in particular, I went to the West Coast. You know, they're three hours behind, and, and they're saying, hey, you know, we're going to let you guys sleep in. You've been traveling. We don't need you till like 10 a.m. Well, 10 a.m. is already 7 a.m., and I'm used to being up at like 5, and then I've traveled, and it's like, wow. Like, I mean, I'm up. I've got like, I can read the whole book of Revelation before they want me. I mean, I'm almost like, okay, God, we've had two cups of tea. We've read half the Bible. What else could we do? Anyway, the point is, so when I first got there first morning, I had the most incredible time with God, really just got a lot of time in the Bible, a lot of time talking to him, talking about things going on in my life, praying through things, and I'm just like, this is just cool. And so I made a mistake, and that is I told God I'd like more of it. I said, God, you know, it'd be really awesome if we could, like, do this every day. This would be good. Like, I'd just really enjoy this time with you. And God says, okay, well, you just need to meet me at this time. Like, What? I mean, I started arguing with God, like, that is really unfair. I mean, like, the sun's not even up, and you made, like, this interstellar object, and it gets to rest. Why don't I get to rest? I mean, if the sun doesn't have to be working, why should I have to be working? You know, anyway, so you kind of argue with God a little bit back and forth, like, there's no way I can get up at that time. God, that's fine. I'll be there at that time. So as I'm, I'm just kind of beginning to say, okay, okay, okay. I mean, come on, y'all know when God just does that thing, you're like, you write it in your journal, right? This is what I'm going to do. And then unfortunately, you know, life just creeps in. Come on, somebody has life. Anybody has a life in here? You know, so, you know, you fly back home and you do now have jet lag. You've gone from the West Coast to the East Coast. And so you, you're not sleeping right. You're not getting up that morning. That's all right. God understands. I just traveled. He'll give me the day. You know, and then because I haven't had time with my family, so I'm just going to be a really good husband that night and binge watch my wife's favorite show with her. So I'm just being a good husband. Come on, guys. Anybody with me? It's not that I wanted to watch it at all. But I've got to stay up late to be a good husband with my wife. And so the next morning, I'm not getting up at that crazy time that God mentioned the last time I was talking to him. And well, you know how it goes. And then your team is in, in some tournament or something like that. <laughs> for at least a little while, and you stay up way too late to watch your team lose a game you shouldn't have watched in the first place, so you're not getting up the next morning because you either stayed up too late or you're too depressed. Nobody really knows which one, but somehow God's waiting and you're asleep. You know that kind of thing? And so this is honestly something I've been struggling with now. For, I took this trip about five weeks ago, and I think maybe like one or two times in five weeks I've managed to do what God and I talked about. And so maybe your sin, it doesn't have to be a sin. Maybe the, the thing that's, that's getting in the way, the foreign God, isn't even a sin at all. For me right now, it is just sleep. Or it's whatever I do that causes me to get to sleep so late that I don't get enough sleep. And so the next thing I know, I don't want to get up and spend time with God. And I even tried that good Christian guilt thing. I don't know if you guys have ever tried any of this, where you like your alarm goes off at that time and you look at your clock and you tell yourself, Jesus is waiting on you in your dining room table. He's sitting there. The table is empty. He's waiting on you. And you think, okay, I'll go, except I just kind of did this. All right, he can be. 
You know, it's like, okay, it just doesn't work. I mean, guilting your way into doing what God says has never worked. Guilt just doesn't really happen. Here's the thing. Whatever God has spoken to you, whatever God has spoken to you, if you can't do that or you can't stop that, that has become a foreign God to you because that is more important than what God has spoken. And if it's not that that's become a foreign God, then simply you have because that pleases you and pleasing you is more important than doing what God said. And so that's how we can identify what is taking our obedience from God. The last thing that will help us identify our foreign gods is whatever takes our affection from God. Now, sometimes, especially the men in the room, are going to kind of struggle a little bit, you know, because we don't like to talk about our feelings. You know, how do I feel about God? I don't know how do I feel about God. And you know, the ladies are singing these songs, I love God, I love... I mean, we're just like... Uh, <laughs> Can we move on to something's got a beat, brother? Come on, you know, I mean, that's just kind of where we are, right? And, and so when we talk about something that affects our affections for God, we may have a little bit of difficulty understanding that, but I don't think we do, actually. I think we know that there are things in our lives. It might be some websites you surf. It might be some TV shows you watch. It could be people you hang out with that when you come away from that time, you just feel distant or you feel dirty and want to be distant, there's just something about it. And, you know, sometimes people will ask me, like, hey, pastor, do you think it's okay to watch this show? And I don't ever answer them because I don't believe there's, like, a list in the Bible of what thou shalt or shalt not watch. You know, you, you've got to figure out for you what, what affects your affections for God. There are plenty of TV shows that have none of those off-limit things, whatever that is for you. For a lot of people, it'd be language or nudity or something like that. There are a lot of shows that don't have any of that, but they still have such a philosophy in them or or the humor or the way they speak to each other that you come away from that. You're not thinking, oh, let me go talk to God right now. It pulls you away. And so there are plenty of things. I'm sure teenagers, you unfortunately deal with this all the time. Your parents may say, hey, why are you hanging out with that person? Or why are you listening to that music? And you're like, oh, no, everybody listens to this. And it's okay. And, you know, there are no cuss words in it. Yeah, but does it affect your affections for God? I think we'll all start to figure out there are things in our lives that make us want to kind of get away from God for a minute because you, you just, or you definitely aren't drawn to him. Sin is a culprit here. Obviously, it's a no-brainer to tell you that sin is going to affect your affections for God. How many of you have ever heard this phrase before? It's a little saying that says that sin will not affect God's love for you, but it may affect your love for him. You ever heard that before? And this is a good news, bad news thing. See, here's the good news. The Bible tells us that God sent his son to die for us because he loved us while we were sinners, while we had never done anything right. So here's the point. God's not going to love you more if you read an extra chapter in your Bible. You can't make God love you more than he already did to die for you. You, you can't go to church an extra Sunday like, oh, man, I've been bad. I'm going to go to church on Sunday and then first service at one church and third service at another church because I'm just going to make up for it. Maybe God will love me more. No, God cannot love you more based upon the way you behave. Now, that's good news. Unfortunately, we do some bad things with that good news which is kind of distorted, and we don't understand, yeah, God may not love you more, but by obeying God, you, you may have more blessings and more favor, and there are some benefits to doing it God's way. Not that his love increases, but here's the deal. 
we tend to mess this up and say, well, if God's not going to love me more, then it's not a big deal if I deal with this issue. It's not a big deal if I deal with this sin. Maybe I'll just let it slide. After all, God's not going to love me anymore. The problem, though, is it's affecting our love for him. It's pulling us away from him, and we think that it's okay and it's not. And so once we can acknowledge they're there, once we can identify what's there, the, the last one, really easy uh, to talk about, not so easy to do, is just remove them. We need to remove them. This is what Jacob said. Remove the foreign gods that are among you. Put them away. We need to get rid of them. And for them, this was really simple. Bring them out, put them in a pile, bury them in a, in, under the tree, and walk away. And I'm sure as I've been talking this morning, things have come to mind. Maybe... Maybe it's a sin activity in your life. Maybe you do have the Buddha statue. Maybe it's a, the, the things you're listening to. Maybe it's a, a friendship you have that shouldn't be a friendship because they're pulling you away from God. Maybe it's your career. You're so focused on your career that, that there's no room for God in your, your life with your time, your energy, your money. Maybe, maybe it's actually family or children. I mean, they're a great gift from God, but some of us take what God's given us and we put it in front of God. And I'm sure the whole time I've been talking, you've had something come to mind that says, yep, that's me. God's been speaking something. And I would love to tell you, okay, well, that'll be easy. Just put it down and walk away. But the reality is this is probably the most difficult part, to put it down and walk away. I mean, if you discovered that sleep is a foreign God and it's keeping you from God, I mean, come on, just set your alarm for 5 a.m. tomorrow and see how that goes. It's called a snooze button. You know, I mean, it's just so hard to put it down and walk away. And so here's what you're going to need to do. Even though it's the simplest one to explain, put it down, walk away. It's the hardest one to do. You're going to need to find some friends. You're going to need to find a life group, maybe a men's group, women's group. You're going to need to find a mentor, a parent, a spouse. You need to find somebody that you go to and say, look, here's what God has spoken to me. Here's what I'm dealing with. I need you to help hold me accountable so I can put away the foreign gods. This, this is keeping me from God. And so this is actually what my wife and I are doing. I'm just going to tell you, if you want an easy life, don't become a pastor. Because it's kind of a job requirement, you got to talk every week. And one thing that God always requires is that he messes with you before he lets you talk to people about it, right? Okay, so, uh, and unfortunately, being a pastor's wife is not much better. You go along for the ride. So here's the deal. My wife and I have felt like God has been talking to us now for quite a while about some really simple things that are either in our life or should be in our life. And so as a result of this and putting this message together and everything, we spent the last three days talking very intensely about these things and, and how God's calling us to make a change. We really believe God is saying, I've got something for you over there, and I'm over there, and if you would just get up and come over there, it's going to be amazing. But, you know, we've just kind of been putting some things off. Come on, I'm human, right? You guys are human. You know how this is. You're just like, well, I'll get around to that, and I'll get out of bed tomorrow, and I'll think about this later, and and the good news, no, we're not dealing with any blatant sin issues. Don't worry. You don't have to worry about that. But so what we finally agreed to do, we, we're, we're writing this down, and, and we've taken a couple of days to write it down, to think about it, to, to talk through it, so that when we do this, we can actually hold each other accountable. And instead of being each other's support group for our excuses. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So, so like, you know, this is what married people do, hopefully. Well, unfortunately, some of you might be in a marriage where, like, the other spouse is perfect you know? And so they like go to the gym and they come home all buff and go, do you go to the gym, honey? And it's like, no. And, well, why didn't you make it to the gym? You know, that kind of thing. Well, my wife and I, we're actually like uh, undisciplined together. We're, we're good. We're good at like not accomplishing things as a team. And so <laughs> just saying, and, and, and so it'll be like, uh, did you make it to the gym today? 
no, I had an early morning meeting and a lot of appointments, and you know, well, I had to work on the sermon. I really wanted to get a good, fresh start hearing God's voice early. How about you? No, you know, one of the kids was sick. All right, that's cool. You know, I mean, we just, we support each other in our excuses, like on our day off, you know, you go to a restaurant, we're trying to like avoid sugar in our life, you know, but we go on a date lunch every Friday usually, so you sit down and the waiter comes up and says, what would you like to drink? Normally should be a very easy question, and the correct answer, of course, is water. I want water with a lemon, that's what I should drink, but I'm thinking, man, it's been a long day, a week, Sunday through Thursday, counseling, talking to people, doing meetings, preaching, writing sermons, (gasps) sweet tea, I need sweet, I'm a southern boy, I need sugar, you know, that kind of thing, and my wife looks and goes, can I have a Diet Coke, please, you know, I mean, it's just like, (laughs) that when I derail, it gives her permission to derail, so here's what we're doing, starting tomorrow, we're actually going to do a 21-day fast, And, and not because we're spiritual, nor do you need to freak out, we are going to eat, that's not the point. This is not that kind of fast. This is a, we've talked about what God has told us to do, and we're going to do it and hold each other accountable. And if that is go to the gym, or if it is to avoid sugar, or if it is to go to bed on time, if it is to not binge watch, you know, whatever TV show somebody wants to watch, whatever it is, if it's to get up at a certain time, you know, we're going to like each have like a little squirt, squirt water bottle, like in the bed, you know, you get up, you get up, or whatever. I don't know. We don't, that's not part of it. I'm just kidding. We haven't agreed to squirt each other in the face with water, but... The point is you're going to need somebody to help. You're going to need someone to to say, hey, how are you doing with this? Hey, can I meet you at the gym if that's what it is? If God has said, you you need to, you know, go on a prayer walk, then somebody's going to say, I'll meet you where we're going to go on a prayer walk. And you can take a separate path so you don't get interrupted, but you're going to need some accountability. You're going to need some help. Have you ever heard the saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? You ever heard that? Maybe you have it on a decoration hanging on a wall. I want to put that in the context with the story that we have today. Hundreds of years later. So here's where we are. God came to Jacob and says, your name will be Israel. You'll have many descendants and I'll give you a promised land. Hundreds of years later, a guy named Joshua is finally the one that leads the children of Israel into that promised land. So something that's been spoken for centuries Joshua is finally about to see the story that we've been studying for two weeks. He's finally going to see it play out. And so here is what Joshua says. Just as he's about to lead Israel's children's 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 children into the promised land, he says this. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, well, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now we tend to read through this, and you know, sometimes you get into the Old Testament and you get these big phrases and all these ites, these people, Amorites and Edomites and whateverites, and you just kind of start flipping it. I don't know what these people are. I don't know what this means. God beyond the river, what is all that? Let me make it real to us today. The gods of their fathers beyond the river meant everything from your family, everything from your past, everything before the promised land. For you and me, that means everything that used to be a part of our ways, a part of our lives. What ruled us before we met Jesus? Might have come from your family, might have come from your history, who knows. But whatever ruled you before you knew Jesus. And the Amorites were the people around them. So here's what he simply was trying to say. There are gods that have always been a part of your life. They've been in your past. 
And there are gods that are surrounding you in the world all around you. And then, well, there's the Lord. Choose. Choose. You can have the foreign gods that you've always had. You can have the foreign gods that everybody around you has, like a great career and getting stuff and, and, and whatever. You can have all of those foreign gods or there's the Lord. You choose. As for me and my house, we choose the Lord. So I just want to ask you today, if you want God to do something extraordinary, you may need to stop doing the ordinary. You may need to figure out what foreign gods have become such a normal, natural part of your life. You've been tolerating them, ignoring them, maybe not even noticing them. Ask God to show you what you need to put away. Because if you want an encounter with God, you're going to have to put away the foreign gods. I want to close by talking to those of you that you would love to have an encounter. The truth is you don't even know what comes first. You don't know how to talk to God. You don't feel like you've ever talked to God. You've ever met with God. You're a little curious of what all this means. And I just want you to know that you're never going to have an encounter like this with God until he is your God. It's just really what it comes down to. And matter of fact, maybe your first encounter is the time where you make him your God. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that this morning. It's a simple conversation. I'm not going to embarrass you or make you come down front or do anything weird. I'm just going to help you start to talk to God and tell him the place that he should have in your life. Would you all join me right where you're seated? Let's pray. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I want to have an amazing encounter with you because you are my God. I thank you for your love, your mercy, your forgiveness. And my simple prayer today is that you will give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.